Alrighty, Marissa, yay, we did it. We're here. I'm so excited. Thanks for having me today. Absolutely. Of course, it's it's my pleasure to have you on the show. I am a, a fan, and that's sort of, I say that because oftentimes I'm not actually a fan yet when I go looking for a guest author. A lot of times I am intrigued by what they're doing, but I haven't even necessarily read it yet. Um, and then they send me their review copy, yada, yada. But for you, I read a lot of your writing before I sought you out. So I'm like all fan happy right now. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. <laughs> and especially, I cannot tell you. I mean, I talk to people from all sorts of time zones and it's just a thrill to be in the Pacific time zone with someone. But you are literally, I feel like, so I felt so happy for so many months knowing you were right across the water. You are in Tacoma. I know we are neighbors. I could go hop on the ferry and we could be doing this in person. Wouldn't that be something? <laughs> Absolutely. Post pandemic, we will do it for a future book. I love book. it. Yeah. It's a great, great part of the country. One thing I can tell you, having grown up on the beaches of California for most of my childhood teen college years is um, your skin is going to be so much healthier than mine. <laughs> No joke. Everyone I know who grew up here, I look at them. I'm like, you have no wrinkles. That's funny. You know, I did read recently that areas, states that tend to be more overcast actually have a higher rate of skin cancer than states that are more frequently sunny. No. Uh, because we we feel like the clouds are protecting us and we don't get into those good habits of wearing sunblock like we're supposed to. Well, I didn't know anyone that had a good habit of wearing sunblock back when I was a child. Oh, that's a misperception. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's just because I'm older. That was like, you know, I was born in 72. So I don't think sunblock, if anything, it was copper tone and people were slathering oil on themselves oh, so they yes, could go broil yes, in the sun. Oil. <laughs> like, that's a thing. Really. Yeah, we've learned better, right? Do they still <laughs> yeah. make that stuff? <laughs> I don't know, but that smell, it's a particular smell. And I didn't. I, okay, I did it a little bit as a teenager. Mostly I didn't. I thought laying around still on the beach was the stupidest thing you could do with a bunch of sand and water. <laughs> to me, I'm like in the waves, playing. I got plenty burned, but I wasn't like intentionally laying there to mm -hmm. cook myself. Anyways, <clears throat> trust me, your skin's better than mine. It's just the way it is. <laughs> okay, all right. So, uh, folks, you're listening to Prose, Poetry, and Purpose here, um, and I'm talking with Marissa Meyer, um, who is just oof, one of those really productive um, authors. I am impressed as a fellow not-yet-published writer, definitely impressed with your productivity and the quality of your writing, because sometimes authors, you know, get pushed a little bit to write a little faster, and you can feel like the the stories are are sliding a little just because of the time pressure, I think. That hasn't happened to you. So, girl, tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, and what you do with your life. <laughs> yes, well, thank you for saying that. I think it's a, a constant concern that at any point, readers are going to be like, nah, she's lost it. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so Gilded... Uh, is my new book that's coming out. And that is, I want to say book number 15. Um, I should probably count them and actually know that number for sure. 
Um, yeah, writer also, envy over here that you are not quite sure how many published books you have. <laughs> no, I'm not normal by this I'm like at some point you probably start to lose track but I don't know 15 is not that big of a number I hear um, that a lot you'd be surprised a lot of my authors are like uh yeah okay yeah. <laughs> so tell us funny. more right uh so I have my new book Gilded coming out um I am also the author of the Lunar Chronicles series the Lunar Chronicles is where I started. I've got Instant Karma and Heartless sitting at home because they were so nice to send me advanced reader copies of those two. And, um, but the Renegades trilogy, like anytime there's a trilogy or more than a, a one-off book, I get super excited because I fall in love with characters and it's hard to leave them after only one book. <laughs> so tell us. As a reader, I love both. Sometimes I just want to sit down and read a book and then be done with it and be like, oh, that was a nice story. I can now move on with my life. Um, and then there's some series that just hook you and you just want to binge the whole thing for a month. And yeah, yes. pros and cons. I love them both. I right. am now seriously curious. Okay. The Stand by Stephen King. Okay. That's a one-off. Which is like big enough that it could have been a series. It could yeah. have been. Yeah, but you're right. <laughs> I was 100% satisfied did not need anything else. So there, okay. I, I can do a one-off too. There you go. All right. <laughs> there had to be at least one. So real quick, folks. Um, Marissa Meyer with the Lunar Chronicles, it was um, a retelling of a whole bunch of fairy tales, sort of. And I'm going to let you go into that a little bit more. But Gilded, which is the one that came out right now, that is another retelling. Tell us a little bit about Gilded and then backtrack a bit to the Lunar Chronicles because I think the whole thematic, I'm going to go after fairy tales and just sort of like um, recreate them in new venues. That is like, I love that trope. I love that thing that you decided to do. So let's start with Gilded, a little bit more detail, and then we'll go back. Sound good? Sure. Yeah. So Great. Gilded is my new novel. It's coming out. It is a retelling of the story of Rumpelstiltskin. And part of the reason why I have now done many fairy tale retellings is because they are stories that have been with me since I was a little girl. I My grandma gave me a book of fairy tales when I was maybe five or six years old, and I just got hooked on them. And I remember reading the Little Mermaid, um, Hans Christian Andersen's version of The Little Mermaid. And of course, at the time, I was really into the Disney movie. And then you oh. read the story and realize, ah, Disney lied to me about everything. <laughs> oh, yeah. And oh, that gosh. Was yeah, it was a little traumatic. Um, but it just opened up this whole world and this curiosity. You mean when you went story? to Hans Christian, you mean when you went to the original, that was where the trauma was. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's such a sad, sad story. <laughs> um, and so I came away from that wanting to know more about these old fairy tales. I wanted to know what else has Disney been keeping from me. Uh huh. <laughs> and so I started to read uh, the old Grimm fairy tales and kind of, and even kind of explored into more fairy tales and folktales from around the world. And it just became this thing that kind of followed me all through grade school and into college. I had this 
you know, love for these stories. Mm-hmm. And uh, I also at some point wanted, decided I wanted to be a writer. I felt like I had stories to tell. Um, okay, no, then- wait, no, seriously, though, for just a second, because you were talking about that, the difference between the Disney and the Hans Christian Anderson sort of perspective on these stories. In a way, isn't that actually a brilliant reminder that stories reflect the society they're coming from? They do. And the time period. Yeah. Um, I mean, when Hans was writing, it was like deep and dark and terrifying world in some ways. It was like the end edge of the Middle Ages, right? And Yes. And also a, a very strong, um, you know, Christian themes coming through. You know, there's a yes. lot of didacticism. You know, they all have a moral, uh, a lesson to yeah. tell the readers. Um, they're trying to teach something. And, yes. and you, you definitely see writers and creators kind of moving away from that as, into more modern times. And well, yeah, they're definitely yeah. a reflection of, of the people in the time period. And Disney's like, you know, I mean, I it was so funny when you were talking about how you fell in love with The Little Mermaid, because even though I didn't do a lot of Disney so much as like a mother with my kids, when I was younger, that was what was there. And I saw The Little Mermaid three times in the theater at the age yeah. of 17. <laughs> It was, you know, just like my girlfriend, I loved it so much. We just kept going back and back. But sure, man, that's like the 80s, you know, like, oh, 80s fluff and happiness and life is going to work out for you compared to Hans Christian Andersen's reality. Yes, no, for sure. And I am fascinated, too, to think, you know, what would Disney do with The Little Mermaid if they were making it today? Um, Mm. And supposedly they are. I think they're supposed to be a live action Little Mermaid coming out at some point, um, but I haven't heard much about it. Mm-hmm. But it will be fascinating to see what they change. Um, because, yeah. you know, as now here I am in my late 30s and I look back and it's like, huh, is it problematic that she never speaks? Like we've literally <laughs> taken this character's voice away and you just start thinking of things on a totally different level right. than you did when you were five. And I feel. Now, hold up. So we have, um, oh, goodness, this is so annoying. Those moments when all the names that obviously you should be able to use don't come to your brain. Okay. Beautiful Mm. woman who married Brad Pitt, second wife. Angelina Jolie. There we go. Thank you. So she did (laughs) Maleficent. Seriously, yeah, right? Like brain did not happen. Okay, but see, I know who it is. So she did Maleficent. It's like they gave Maleficent, which in the Disney fairy tale and other stories is just this pure evil creature and then they gave like the background to her right mm-hmm. i've and then i love they, those movies and didn't they just do that with the the evil woman from the spotted dog story the cruella Deville, which i have not seen i have I, right okay yeah, i've been trying to get my kids to watch that one with me um because i've heard the fat the costumes and fashion in it are fantastic um but for whatever reason this is like the movie they've decided they're not interested in right but watch they, anything else yeah, yeah yeah but but they did that with her and now i had heard they were going to do the same thing with the octopus witch lady from oh really yeah so in a way it's almost like we've got what we have in a way the the me too movement moved into a resurgence of women being like we are sick and tired of being stereotyped and we have you know real strength and voice and so what do they do they go in and they sort of retell the stories of the women who were just stereotyped into evil positions of ugly witchdom or whatever that Mm -hmm. old culture wanted to do to them and now we're like you know there's probably a backstory yeah and who doesn't love a villain origin story too you know it's so much more interesting 
to see why they are making these decisions. Why is this villain villainous? Why are they yeah. doing these things? Um, rather than just the blanket, they're evil, whoa, they're whoa, bad. Whoa, whoa. Yeah, 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 right. Yeah, powerful women must be evil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, did, naturally. Of yeah, no, of course. <laughs> did Did you see? Um, I didn't watch this, but everyone else in the world watched it. What's it called? Game of Thrones. There we go. Ah. Did you watch that? Oh yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I did not. I didn't have the the. I don't know. I don't watch TV very much. Or at the time, whatever was streaming it, whatever their platform was not something I was watching. But then it got to the end of the whole series and I had a friend who'd been watching it. And she's like, hey, why don't you come over and we're going to watch like, you know, the grand finale. And she said to me, I'm curious to know what you think of it because you didn't watch the whole show. And she actually wanted to see what my reaction would be. Mm-hmm. And as so if I remember correctly, at the end, you had, there's this white blonde woman named Cersei or something? Oh, Cersei, yeah. Okay, Mm -hmm. and then the other was like the one who had the dragons. Daenerys, yeah. There you go. Okay. I'm just curious because you've watched it. At the end of this last piece that I happened to see the snippet of, I was like really, really upset in a not like I'm super upset, but just if you're going to ask me to evaluate this thing, I will tell you I don't like it. I was really irritated that these two powerful women were taken out and especially that the Daenerys character was taken out of course by a dude who was like somehow morally superior and that these women were super powerful and therefore immoral and that was just sort of like my takeaway was I was surprised that we had that trope of powerful women must be immoral and taken out and interesting yeah what was your take on that so my take um Cersei is pretty much a horrible character from the beginning um so no love lost there I was glad to see her get her comeuppance okay uh Daenerys I thought it was pretty much a travesty what was done to her character in the last season um because she started out with nothing um and was abused and sold off and I mean had you know just bottom on the tier of hierarchy as far as you know crowns and royalty goes Mm -hmm. and she fought her way to the top and throughout the entire series she was the character that so many people were rooting for not only because she was able to make herself strong to amass this army you know, to outsmart so many other characters, but also because she was one of the few that would show compassion and that she actually seemed to have some sort of moral guidance um, on top of just wanting the crown. Mm-hmm. And yet we get to the final season and all of that just dissolved and suddenly she's a mad woman killing innocent people. And I hated it i was so angry what okay. they did to her okay yeah. well then we were just you, you know like my friend had to stop the thing like twice because i'm like spitting and fuming you know yeah. <laughs> and i'm like i don't even know the story but i can see where as a writer you can sort of see where it's going and i'm like what what and she's like okay okay you calm down now <laughs> yeah. i mean i don't know just okay then so I'm yeah. not the only one. No, and I mean, I 
didn't read like a whole lot of reviews after watching it, but um, my my understanding was that most fans were pretty disappointed with the last season. I know I was. Well, there we go. I think we're sick of the old tropes. I mean, we're ready for a little bit of um, a, a bright new world. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right. Okay. Let's grow it up, people. Okay, cool. Okay. Well, that was a segue. <laughs> what else were we talking about? <laughs> we were talking okay, gilded. gilded. Gilded Rumble Stilt Skin. I'm I gotta tell you, like, I think Rumble Stilt Skin, and suddenly this this story concept comes to mind. And then I think you, and then I think, holy Toledo, what's she gonna do with that? And then I just sort of like stop because I have no guesses. <laughs> entirely sure what I was going to do with a story that I was really drawn to. Um, but I knew that I wanted to retell this one. It's one that's actually kind of been spinning around in my imagination, probably since I was a kid. Like I remember reading this story, um, maybe elementary school age and thinking there are a lot of unanswered questions. I was very unsatisfied with this story. Oh, totally. And, yeah. And I thought there is there are things that I want to resolve. There are things I want to know about what happened and why does Rumpelstiltskin want this child that he bargains for? And how come the king never seems to realize that she can't actually spin straw into gold? And the king threatened to kill her a bunch of times. Are we really supposed to expect that she gets a happy ending now? Yeah, you know, and at, the, at so the end, she gets together with the king, doesn't she? She does. She's a total jerk. Sorry. And he never, like, he never, I guess, asked her to spin straw into gold again, even though that's like the whole reason that he marries her. And then this, you know, impish man shows up and demands the child and the king doesn't question that. Like, there's just a lot um, mm -hmm. that didn't make a lot of sense, I felt. And yet it was also a story that I loved because of the creepiness and the weirdness to it. So I wanted to retell this story. Well, and what's the moral? Because the only, I'm, I'm actually sort of curious to know, does, there's the Disney version. That's the one I'm, I've never, I never, I mean, I've read some of the Han stuff. Like I know they chopped off the heels and the toes and mm -hmm. the, the other Cinderella one or whatever of the daughters to make their feet stick and then blood comes out of the shoes. And, you know, so I, I've heard a little bit of some of the dark side, but I haven't on this one. I mean, in Han's, is this a Hans Christian Andersen story? No, this is a grim. It's a grim. grim. Story. I mean, there's versions of it from other cultures, but is there a happy ending? Grim version. In the grim version, is there a happy ending? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> she she marries the king. They have the child. Rumpelstiltskin shows up. Um, she's able to guess his name after three days, and he. Depending on what sort, which version you read, he either tears himself apart or he stomps a hole into the ground and disappears. Mm -hmm. And she's left alone and she's the queen now. Okay. Yeah. So I guess I'm happy. Okay. Well, but... then what's the moral? Like, like, I don't know. Right? I don't know what the moral of this story It was the least moral, obvious one of the stories. I, I always was like, what's the point? It's not that I dislike the story. I literally was like, what am I take? What's my takeaway here? Yeah, and a lot of um, what kind of irritated me about this story is that the the protagonist, our, our Miller's daughter character, has zero autonomy throughout yeah. the whole thing. You know, her father is the one who lies about her spitting the straw into gold. The king is the one that demands this thing. 
Rumpelstiltskin is in charge of, you know, the actual spinning of the gold. Like she has zero choices. Mm -hmm. The king doesn't even ask if she wants to marry him. He's just like, I'll marry you. And this was how it's going to be. And And we assume she's happy. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. So so then when I decided that I was going to be retelling this story, that was definitely one of the first things that I knew I wanted to change is I wanted a heroine who was actually going to make some of her own decisions. And yeah, maybe those decisions get her in trouble sometimes, but I wanted a character that is following her own path. Um, And so that was definitely one of the big changes that I wanted to incorporate. Mm -hmm. And from there, a lot of the decisions for doing this retelling kind of emerged from research. Um, I wanted to draw on 16th century Germany um, as kind of the basis of my fantasy setting. Mm -hmm. And so that then led to a lot of research about um, pagan gods and old mythological monsters and different stories from this, you know, this time period in this place. Okay, so wait, wait a second, because the Lunar Chronicles is, um, it has a little bit of an element of a dystopia because it's earth in the future right okay i wouldn't say dystopia but it's science fiction okay there we go yeah. right futuristic. But yeah. yes or, yeah you're right futuristic doesn't have to be dystopian it can just be science fiction okay got it and then you're mentioning you wanted to sort of at least the ambiance of 1600s are you hinting that gilded actually goes back in time Um, So it's a fantasy world, you know, unlike Lunar Chronicles is the intention is that this is Earth far, far in the future. Uh, With Gilded, it's a fantasy world. Um, It is not intended to be Earth of the past. Um, I'm creating it. However, I am drawing a lot of inspiration from 16th century Germany. Is it Earth at all? No. Ooh, am I not supposed to ask that? I can edit it out. If no, I'm, like, I'm just like thinking something. my head. Is it Earth at all? No, not really. I'm okay. creating my own countries, creating my own creatures. Okay. Yeah. Oh, don't you love the freedom of writing fiction? <laughs> and and I do. You, know, you know, it's one of the things that I, I do love that I get to control everything, but it's not easy. <laughs> it comes with a lot of decision making, but it's fun. I mean, I love to write because it is truly just something that I enjoy doing. Mm-hmm. And there's definitely a lot of playfulness that comes with knowing that you can create an enchanted forest if you want one. You can design your own haunted castle. You can, you know, dabble with made up creatures and languages, cultures, architecture. You know, mm-hmm. it's just fun. Yeah. Playtime. Yeah. If if you can dodge the sense of um, anxiety, you know the yeah. I mean, there's you know, if you can dodge all that about that's all wrapped up in success, and you can just actually enjoy the the journey and the process. You're right; it's it's phenomenally fun in so many ways. Yes, yes, awesome. and it comes with a lot of challenges. Of course, we won't pretend that it doesn't. But uh, I always try to come at writing from that perspective of reminding myself like you're doing this because it is just legitimately something that I really enjoy doing. Yeah. I mean, perspective, you know, wow. I mean, there's that thing attitude is everything. Well, you know, perspective is, is a huge part of attitude. So I'm really, um, I think 
you know, we talk about resiliency, hard work. We talk about all these characteristics that um, published authors share in common. You know, sort of these these parts of your um, skill set, your attitude, whatever that can help you be successful. But you know, I think the the ability to be able to continue enjoying yourself and not become overly um, anxious or worried, like that in and of itself is a skill set. Yeah. Yeah. I don't disagree. Um, and I, I think it is something that we do have some control over, um, which is of course not to negate, you know, mental health issues, you know, (laughs) and obviously we all go through periods where, whether you're dealing with rejection or imposter syndrome. I mean, there are things in this career. You can't be happy and excited to sit down at your desk every single day. No. Um, But by and large, (laughs) I think that it is something that we have within our control uh, to at least recognize like our job is to make stuff up and tell stories and take readers on epic adventures and I know for myself, there's nothing else I would rather be doing. Right? Right? I mean, just, yeah, it's so, so cool. And as a reader, I'm grateful every time I read a book that is clearly a book I meant I was meant to read because some books are going to be something that are phenomenal, but I'm not interested. So if I don't mm-hmm. like a book, I don't assume it means the book's bad. It's just like may not be my type of book. But right. um, every time I read a really great book and I close that the book up as the last page or something. I just have such a sense of gratitude and appreciation for the person who put in the blood, sweat, and tears to make that story land on that page and land in my hands. Mm-hmm. No, I love that. And I, I agree. Obviously, it's subjective. Not every book is going to speak to every reader. Uh, but I know exactly that feeling that you're talking about when you read a book that feels, for whatever reason, like this author must have had me in mind. They were reading my heart when they created this story. How did they know that this was what I was going to be needing right now? Yeah, that's true. That's true. I know. It's such a beautiful exchange. Mm -hmm. Writing and reading, giving and taking, um, receiving, appreciating, gifting. It's just a beautiful part of humanity. Yeah, for sure. It's it's a job that I feel very honored to be able to do and so honored that so many readers have connected with my books. Absolutely. So, 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 so Gilded is you going after Rumpelstiltskin and just sort of making more and better of it. <laughs> we'll see. Readers will get to decide. Um, but yeah, I I wanted to take it and, you know, give my own spin to it. I knew I wanted to try to fill in some of these holes, answer some of these questions that had been plaguing me for so long. (laughs) Um, And we ended up with this very uh, kind of dark but whimsical version of the fairy tale. Um, In it, my main character, Cyrilda, she's still a Miller's daughter, um, but now she has been cursed by the God of Lies. Um, And so it's no longer her father, tells this ridiculous lie that she can spin straw into gold. Um, She makes the mistake herself of telling the wicked Earl King, who is the leader of the wild hunt, that she has this talent. And not long after that, she is swept away to the Earl King's castle, which is full of monsters and spirits and ghosts. 
and told that she must either spin some straw into gold or she's going to be killed for telling falsehoods. Uh, and of course she can't do it, but thankfully there is a ghost, um, actually a poltergeist in the castle who can spin straw into gold. And so he shows up and he helps her. And that is where the, the story kind of launches from yeah, there. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're not going <laughs> to give any spoilers today. No, of course not. <laughs> okay, you know, I have to say, um, one of the the coolest things about um, what I'm sensing from this book, which I haven't read yet, but what I know to be true with the Lunar Chronicles was the 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 incredibleness of your imagination. I mean, the Lunar Chronicles, wow, you pulled off some really complicated world building and, and stuff and depth. And I'm a little curious to know what was the inciting incident thought that got that going? I mean, you know, there, sometimes it's a seed that from from whence everything else sprouts. And I'm wondering yeah. if you just had like this kernel idea and everything exploded from it or did you have like an idea that just birthed a lot of other kernels how did that work for you <laughs> yeah I feel like for the most part most of my books start with a, a kernel um a lot of times it's a what if question or just two things suddenly smash together in my brain and I'm like oh that would be a cool story um and then they just grow from there um but let's see so the lunar chronicles I started writing it uh, back in 2008. And prior to that, I wrote a ton of fan fiction. I wrote uh, Sailor Moon fan fiction for many, many years. Mm -hmm. And one day I was wasting time on a Sailor Moon website that I used to <laughs> you know, write and submit stories to and saw that there was a contest happening uh, in order to enter this, it was a writing contest. And in order to enter, you had to uh, write a short story. And there was a list of 10 things and you had to include two things from this list. In your oh, story. yeah. Yeah. No, totally. I love those. Okay. Those writing right, prompts. Little prompts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so from that list, I chose to set my story in the future and to include a fairy tale character. Um, mm. And so the story that I wrote for that was this very kind of silly off the wall it was like sailor moon meets puss in boots meets star wars <laughs> um, i did not win the contest i came away from it thinking that i just loved combining science fiction with a fairy tale and you know two things that i love and so i started to think well what if i wrote an entire series of futuristic fairy tales and I had that just kind of percolating in my mind for, um, I don't know, maybe two or three months and just playing with it and thinking what fairy tales would I do and how would those fairy tales look? How would they translate into a science fiction story? And then one night as I was falling asleep, I had a dream of Cinderella, but in my dream, rather than a glass slipper falling off, her foot fell off. Oh. And I, I snapped awake and my first thought was that she was a cyborg um, and she had a mechanical leg and the foot hadn't been properly attached and that's why it fell off. Oh, wow, that's so <laughs> fun. 
you yes. you were gifted by your subconscious with this thank you subconscious idea. It's so good that night mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah and so it I got out of bed and you know very quickly as soon as I had that idea of this Cinderella cyborg her story started to come together and really started bringing together a lot of other ideas that I'd been kind of brainstorming and, and playing with for the past few months. And I very quickly realized this was not going to be a standalone Cinderella story, mm-hmm. but rather it was going to start to bring together all of these other ideas that I'd been thinking. And this wicked evil queen was kind of terrorizing all of these different fairy tale characters. And over the course of the series, they would have to join forces and band together in order to take her down. And that that concept kind of landed in my head uh, really early on. Mm-hmm. From there, it became what it became. You know, um, I, interv- I don't know if you've read um, Michelle Sagara's work. I have not. Okay, you, you might want to check her out since it sounds like um, fantasy is something that you have enjoyed in your own personal reading life. I am writing it down right now. Well, and you can just go to marchtwisdale.com and on the homepage, if you scroll down, you'll see um, these beautiful headshots of all the lovely people who joined me on my show. And Michelle was like, I think about five or six authors back maybe. So you can find her there. And when you click on the face, it just pops you over to the podcast, right? So if you lose it or don't spell it right and can't Google it, you can just go to marchtwisdale.com and there she is. But um, she's got like, I think she also was like, I'm not exactly sure how many books. I think it's 39. (laughs) 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 And I'm like, yeah, okay, turning green over here. Okay, but, (laughs) but, you know, it's, she said that for her every, and she writes a lot of series. So she said every single story for her pretty much starts with her conceptualizing the ending. Like she has an idea of of what happens at the end. You know, you're like this evil queen is going to torture all these people. And then it grew from that. Well, that's sort of the ending. You know, you, you know the end of what she did. And then the question is, how did it all unfold? And then what, how'd they get past her at the end, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I do think it's really fun hearing different writers talk about, I don't even know how to, cons- I guess you could say it's the process or the creative process, but for me, it's like I have a sense of an ending too, but that ending of my four book series I've been working on for a decade is like so in a way different from all the the beautiful, rich actualizing that gets you there. But mm-hmm. having that known, what my end sort of point culmination solution to problem is it's like a hook out there that keeps me attached and tethers me as I wind my way towards it yeah interesting yeah I find a lot of times I'll have an overarching idea of what the ending is going to be you know this person will be defeated this person will die this couple ends up together right but I have no concept of how I'm going to get there right (laughs) And the fun is that, you know, along the way, you know, I, I was, I think sleep is um, very much underappreciated for the creative process or platform or experience that it actually is. I mean, there's like three dreams that I had that really helped to create the kernel of my 
my story series. Mm, this mm-hmm. was years ago, and I still remember those three dreams incredibly well because they're the reason for the kernel. Right. And right. Um, a couple mornings ago, literally two mornings ago, I woke up. I'm in the middle of this dream. It's like there's a solution, problem-solving thing happening. I woke up. This thing hit me, and I was like, oh, holy Toledo, you know? And I leaned over and grabbed my phone and got to my little notes app, and I'll, yes. you know? The best. Yeah. <laughs> you and then, know, the little wheels are turning back there. Something's yes. happening. Yes. And later, my husband's done with work, and I, I was like, you know, I woke up. I had this dream. It took like three minutes to jot this down. And I said, but you know what? It's going to change this relationship. That It's not going to change the storyline, but suddenly it twisted like dough mm-hmm. being twisted. Um, it twisted the, you know, the, the reason behind the motivations of certain characters and the relationships just went, and yet it deepened the tension and the stakes and it just just made everything get really really powerfully twisted and i was like one thought is having this massive ripple effect through the first two books of my series and i'm so much happier with what's happening now than i was you know 24 hours ago yeah no and that's such a great feeling and i mean i love to think about that that idea it didn't just pop out of nowhere i mean who knows how long your brain was working to come up with that and, you know, making the connections, you know, solving the riddle, solving the problem until finally it was like, oh, boom, I got it. Send it to the top. Yeah. We're ready now. That's and I right. I just think that's so fascinating and how often that happens where in my, my conscious waking life, I'll have, you know, some plot dilemma that I'm just you know, struggling with and I just can't figure this out. And then one morning you wake up and you've got it figured out. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like, where did that come from? But you know that it's, you know, been been percolating back there all this time. Yep. 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 So so tell me, if you ever had, let's say, time to yourself and you were gonna go off and relax at a coffee shop, let's say, would you actually go without having a recording device or something to write down an idea on? Oh, never. Right. Never. I mean, these days we all have our phones on us and we, so we can all, you know, use our notepad on our phone. Right. That's made it really convenient. But before then I would always, always have a paper and pen with me. Yeah. It had nothing to do with whether I planned to think about something, you know, but I've got like two boxes at home that are full of probably, I have like probably 35 or 40 notebooks, you know, spiral binders that are just full of notes from the past decade of always having and then, of course, there's that moment where you don't, and you're like, I need a napkin. Yeah. <laughs> no. Oh, <I'm> sure. <laughs> no. Okay, cool. So <laughs> let's move on over a little bit sideways because you do something similar to what I do. You have a podcast. Tell us about I it. I do. That's right. Yeah. So I am the host of the Happy Writer podcast um, that drops every Monday. And yeah, kind of similar to what you're doing. I talk to other authors and we talk shop, you know, a little bit of craft, a little bit of publishing. Um, How did they get their start? We talk about their new book and but kind of the trying to maintain this focus of joy and, Mm. and happiness and how do we keep ourselves inspired and creative and how do we find 
the day-to-day joys in this job. Um, because mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of times writers, we, if you get a group of writers together, it can very quickly devolve into just like whining and complaining <laughs> and, oh, my publicist's not doing this for me. And I'm under this deadline. I'm so stressed out. And I got this terrible review and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, those are the all legitimate things to talk about, sure. but I want to do something to, you know, kind of highlight the, the brighter parts of this career. And mm-hmm. that turned into the happy writer. Okay. Well, I have to tell you, I'm really, really excited. I fell in love with podcasts back in, I think it was, oh, it might've been December actually. I mean, I've been doing this show and I created my website, a paid couple thousand dollars for my website to be created for me because no I don't have website creation brains um those cells didn't get developed in in utero back in 1972 so um, yeah so I lack them unfortunately but um even though I've got this and even though it's technically a podcast and I and all that it's sort of like I hadn't, I liked the freedom of leaving my house to go for a walk without having a phone. I mean, my children spent years bitterly, bitterly, um, what, what's the word? I don't know, like, woeing, woe is me. My mother does not Thanks. always carry her phone on her body. <laughs> no joke. They would say all the other parents always have their phone with them. And I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> I'm going to go for a walk. And guess what? No one on planet Earth knows where I am and they can't reach me. And this is my God-given, Mother Nature-given right, you know? (laughs) I love it. (laughs) But, um, you know, at the same time, I discovered this last winter the the beauty of having – I have a Bose headset. Mm -hmm. I spent like $350 as a birthday present to myself. And I love throwing my phone in my pocket and flipping on a podcast or a book on Audible and walking for hours for exercise and also mentally taking in content. Mm-hmm. That has become my multitasking opportunity. Yeah. No, I hear you. I, I run. I'm currently training for my first half marathon. Oh, and green. I, I'm green. I could, <laughs> <laughs> I could not do it without audiobooks couldn't do it. They, they are, they get me through every run. Right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. I discovered a, I think it was like, I called my dad once to have this brilliant phone conversation. And I suddenly realized when I got home, I'd had this great time chatting with him and I'd walk like five miles and it felt like I'd only been out for 15 minutes. Yeah, it is. It makes the time pass in such a magical way. Yes, absolutely. So I'm so thrilled because um, your podcast, how many, how many episodes do you think you have? Oh, 80 ish, 80, 90, somewhere in there. (laughs) That's great. That's 80 walks ahead of me where I get to listen to positive content (laughs) and be walking and exercising at the same time. You have no idea how happy you just made me. Oh, well, I hope you enjoy it. (laughs) Oh, I'm sure I will. Have you heard of the Manuscript Academy? No. Oh, okay. Totally check them out because they are really positive, very efficacious, very valuable content for anyone who is already published, who wants to get into publishing their writing. Um, And so I discovered them. Um, And the podcasts, of course, are all for free. 
they actually have the academy you can pay like 49 bucks a month to join. There's always classes and amazing things you can get involved in. But before that, when you're not sure you want to throw down 50 bucks a month, they've got like 120 or 30 now um, podcasts. And so it's the same thing. I was like, oh, I can check these people out. And the value just kept building and building. And finally, I'm like, okay, I'm ready to like throw down the dollars. Yeah. Oh, I will definitely check them out. Absolutely. They're interviewing me um, at the beginning of October, actually, sort of about what it's like to have a radio show where I'm interviewing authors and and all this stuff. So I'm excited to be a guest on their show. But um, it's the Manuscript Academy um, and author and agent, Julie and Jessica. They're phenomenal. And um, and I think you would like the really positive vibe. Yeah, no, it sounds totally up my aisle. I yes. Will, I will put it on my list. I already wrote it down. You're yes. giving me so many great tips. We're swapping it. podcast ideas. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> so that's awesome. Yay. And so it's the happy writer. Yep. Okay. Now, so folks, if you are just joining us now, or if you're about to leave, maybe you've been listening while you're driving to the grocery store and you're like sitting there in the parking lot and you really got to go buy your groceries and you don't want to hang up or turn the car off because the show's so great. Um, <laughs> you can go to marchtwisdale.com and catch all of my shows 365, 24-7, whenever you want. And when you go there and you go to the podcast page, and you click on, you know, an episode, you'll see the bio. So we're going to have Marissa Meyer's bio right there. And in that, Marissa, let's make sure in addition to the link to your website, let's make sure also that we really highlight in there that people can check out your podcast. Sounds great. Thank you. Good, good. Excellent. Because I want, I don't want people to feel like they're trying to memorize something while they're driving down the road. I yeah. want them to know they can check it out later in the safety of their desk and not while they've got a steering wheel between their hands. <laughs> okay, so folks, there's a lot, believe it or not, in addition to raising twins, six-year-old twins, right? Yes, yeah, six-year-old twins. Oh my gosh. Okay, in addition to what we've already talked about and having six-year-old twin boys, is it? Girls, girls. girls. You didn't say that earlier. One way. What are their names? If you don't mind the first names. Sure, Sloane and Delaney. Ah, <gasps> you have the best names. Thank you. <laughs> oh my gosh, S L O A N. E with an E at the end. E at the end, and then Delaney. Mm-hmm. Do you actually capitalize the L or no? No. Okay. Okay. Still. Oh, can I? Can I have your name stories? There are stories behind those names. You know, not really. <laughs> oh, no way. Um, I, I mean, stumbled I, I guess, upon them. So the story, if there is a story, they're adopted. Um, they oh. came to us at two months old from foster care. And they came with different names. Um, and when they were about a year old, it became for sure that we were going to be able to adopt them. Oh. And... My husband and I thought, well, everyone else got to come up with their kids' names. We really want to come up with our kids' names. Right. Um, and so we ended up taking their uh, names that they came with, became their middle names. And we sat down for, you know, the same thing all new parents do for a week or two, trying to think what names do we want to give these children. But it was right. neat that at that point they were a year old. And so we could kind of see their personalities starting mm-hmm. to develop. Um, and... So Sloan means little warrior 
And she was, she was the first one that learned to climb out of her crib and she was just (laughs) fearless and climbing over everything, always into trouble. Um, And so Sloan just felt like the perfect fit for her. Um, Delaney as a baby was always a lot quieter and kind of more reserved. And she has always had this kind of dreaminess about her. And I can't think exactly what the translation for Delaney means um, something, uh, the meadow in the alder trees or something like that. Um, And so it just felt, felt right for her. That is just, you know, there are many, 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 many cultures now and in the past that have just honored that really basic idea that you don't know your kid when they're born, but you know them when they're a little bit older. And so, so many cultures have given like, you know, a, a given another name to a child at a certain age, five, seven, whatever it is. And sometimes those names are actually considered to be more legitimate than the birth mm-hmm. name. You know, they're, they're really, sometimes they're kept secret. There's some Native American cultures where, you know, you're, you're given your true name, but you, it's yours to know. You don't share it broadly. I think that that whereas what you've done might feel a little unusual in this culture, you actually have tapped into something that many cultures have honored for forever. Well, I did not know about that, but I, I love that. Yeah. Oh, my goodness gracious. They're so unique, too. I think that's so fabulous. You have these unique names and those your kids are going to have like, I don't know, it's just beautiful. <laughs> well, thank you. I, I obviously like them, but I helped pick them. <laughs> yeah. So, and wow. And and you're like, oh, no, we don't really have a naming story. Ha, huh, honey, that's a story. <laughs> like, you know, they're named after my great aunt or what, you know, something like that. I don't know. You just pick them out of a baby book like, like everybody does. <laughs> no, that's really cool. Not to mention, I mean, come on, you know, you have to pick the names for all your characters. Uh, I mean, goodness gracious, isn't that actually one of the joys and the fun of being a writer? That could be like a happy writer podcast topic, you know. It could be. Right? I both love and hate naming my characters Mm. um, because it's so much pressure to find the perfect name that is going to encapsulate who this character is. Um, Funny enough, the main character for Renegades uh, was named Sloan originally. Mm. And then we, we got the girls and we decided to give Sloan her name. And then I was like, well, it'd be weird to also have a main character named Sloan. And everyone's going to think that I was, you know, named her after the blah, right, blah, blah. Right, right, right. Um, and so then she got changed to Nova, but yeah. Right. <laughs> I no, really loved act- the name Sloan. I was going to use it one way or the other. No, that makes so much sense. Um, so like, so I've really enjoyed the, the naming opportunity for my book. I mean, granted, I've been working on it for a long time, which has been a, there hasn't been a lot of pressure. I knew it was going to be my empty nest project. I set myself up. I'm like a mom. I've got kids. I have these dreams. I realize I want to write the story. I've always been sort of a writer. And I was like, okay, but, you know, I'm homeschooling my kids. I have a farm. So I have a very full life. Just such a balanced perspective of like knowing this is my life and I don't want to overburden myself to the point where I'm not getting joy from all of these things that should be bringing me a lot of joy. Like to be able Mm -hmm. to step back and decide, okay, this is the period of my life where I'm going to focus on kids and family and home, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Later, 
better, I will focus on this creative pursuit. Um, I think that that's, you know, shows a lot of just great energy there. It was a form of compartmentalizing. I think I was inspired by, you know, my, so I'm older than you. And I, I, when I, when you look at generational stuff, like my grandmother's generation was women with very little power. And then what would happen to them if the men just sort of like, you know, blew them off, left them, whatever. And, you know, just women really suffered because they were deeply disempowered. My mother's generation was the generation that really sort of pushed to change that. They wanted to avoid the, the horrendous experiences of their mothers. And so they were the ones that were sort of, you know, I was a latchkey generation kid in a way because suddenly you had both parents largely out and about working. You come home from school, the house is empty, you're on your own. And this isn't like, an, like I'm not talking about this as a negative. I'm saying generationally, it was what they were grappling with and what I was watching. You can have it all, but it was you can have it all at the same moment, which might have been a little bit of not true. Yeah. My generation was like, okay, maybe you can have it all, but you just have it all at different times. Yeah. No, I think every day that my life would be so different if we didn't have the wonderful supportive network of family that we have nearby. Um, you know, literally like my one set of in-laws lives right next door to us. Um, my other mother-in-law lives a block away. Like at any point we have people who are willing and happy to step in and watch the children or help us out. And as a, a mom and a woman who does have this idea, this cultural idea of wanting to have it all and wanting to do it all, um, I don't think that you can do it on your own. You know, it, it you need to have people there to help you when you are feeling overwhelmed or stressed mm -hmm. or you've just got too much on your plate and being able to reach out to someone and say, hey, could you watch the kids for a few hours while I do this thing? Uh, it really makes such an enormous difference in not only what I'm able to get done, but then how I feel about my life. And I'm able to be a better mom. I'm able to be a better writer and all of these things because I can, you know, find some more of that balance. Thanks and, to you're, that. and you're able to be a happier, healthier person, which is why you yeah. can be all those things. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it, it's like, it's so weird, this thing we have around this nuclear family. Some of these, you know, oh, who was I just talking? I can't remember at the moment. I was interviewing an author earlier this week, and they were talking about sort of um, breaking these expectations. It was these two writers I spoke to who were both from the UK, and they both in their fiction had characters that were being sort of told by society what was expected of them at a young age. And they were both resisting this sort of societal compulsion to make decisions that would dictate the rest of their lives. And so these characters, because in those cultures around, you know, 10th grade, you're 15, 16, and they're like, we want you to decide, are you going to go into the arts? Are you going to go into the sciences? And we're going to shut down this route of education and move you in this direction. And those are big life chain, life decisions to make at the age of 15, right? Yeah. And so think of it like if, no one would expect you to be a single mom of twins with a full-time career and your homeschooling, you know, and you're paying all the bills entirely on your own with no friends or family to help. Like, no one would actually say that sounds reasonable. 
but then you suddenly throw in a spouse and people are like, oh, well, yeah, you should do it all just because you got a spouse now. <laughs> right. You know, this <laughs> nuclear family idea we have, it's like really nuclear family, just, just one more spouse. That's not actually that much more. <laughs> Right, right. A spouse who oftentimes is also trying to have their yeah. own career and hobbies and interests. <laughs> yeah, but you throw in grandparents who have more time because they're moving into retirement, and you throw in a bunch of aunts and uncles and cousins, who you know, and suddenly it starts sounding reasonable. Right, right. Definitely yeah. helps. <laughs> yeah. Finding life balance, the life-work balance. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Well, we are running. We are. We're out of time. Oh, I know. <laughs> Again, thank you so much for your time, and thank the grandparents for having the twins over so we could chat. How's that sound? Yes, I will definitely let them know that we appreciate them. All right, every okay. time. <laughs> thank you very much. Yes, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.